For those of you who were here last week, you'll know that we ended our New Testament reading on kind of a cliffhanger, uh, or a gospel reading, that is. We're in uh, Mark chapter 5, and Jesus had been interrupted when he was on his way to the house of um, a man named Jairus, who was one of the synagogue leaders, whose daughter was dying. And while Jesus is on the way, he's interrupted by a woman, and he stops, and he heals her. And that's where we stopped last week. So we're going to pick up that story to find out what happens with Jairus's daughter. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed, God, that you would help us to hear it. You'd help us to understand it. You'd help us to receive it into our lives. God, that we would be those who have um, hearts of good soil. Lord, that when the seed of your word comes into our hearts, it puts down roots and grows and bears fruit. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 5:35 to 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Turning then to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 16 through 33. We continue in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And he says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. But the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to leave off with a cliffhanger there as well. We will pick that up next week. Speaking of cliffhangers, anybody ever binge watch TV shows through streaming devices? Anybody do that? Nobody here does that. What year is this? <laughs> Come on now. Somebody here does. You may have noticed, you may have noticed that there will be, and even if you don't, you've watched TV shows, you know that sometimes uh, in a series, the show will start with the previously on the show, and then they'll kind of give you the recap of what's been going on. Well, if you are binge-watching through some streaming device, you'll notice they'll sometimes have a, a little button you can click that says skip recap. Yeah, you don't want to click that if it's been a while since you've been watching it. You want to watch that, and you go, oh, that's right, I remember where we are and who was here and everything. You watch the whole recap, but... If you just finished that previous episode, like, seconds before, and you're just running right through them, yeah, skip the recap. We don't need that. (laughs) And um, I mention that because there is no skip recap button for the sermon this morning. And so we are, whether you are somebody who has been binging these sermons (laughs) or it's been a while since you've uh, been paying attention to this story, either way, previously... In Genesis, here we go. <laughs> it's, uh, Genesis chapter 42 is where we're picking up the story, but here's what's been going on. As we are paying attention to several people, we've got Jacob and several of his sons. We've got um, Simeon and Judah and Joseph and Benjamin that we're going to be talking about. Oh, and Reuben specifically today. It's like, who are these people again? I don't quite remember. So here's the story. Here's the quick overview. Is This is the family that God promised to fix the whole world through. <laughs> that in the beginning, things were created good, but it broke pretty quickly when people turned away from God. And God picked Abraham and said, it's through your family that all the families on the earth, all the nations on the earth, all the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed. 
that somehow this problem of sin and brokenness in the world is going to be fixed through this family. And so we've been following this family down the line, and generation after generation, we're like, is it, is it time? Is it them? And they're like, oh, no, <laughs> it's not. But the promise has continued, that God has continued to say, eh, it is still coming. It is still happening through this family. And so we get down to the person of Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons by four different women. We're not going to talk about that right now, except to say, don't do that. And it's a good time for a reminder that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's to be copied. (laughs) Uh, There's an awful lot in the Bible that is there for us to learn not to do. Anyway, um, but Jacob has 12 sons, and we've been kind of following these sons. And one of the things that Jacob does with these sons is he picks out a favorite. And one of the reasons why is because he had of the, uh, the two wives and their two servants through whom he's having children, he had a favorite wife named Rachel. And she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph being the oldest of Rachel, his favorite wife, Jacob says, that, that is going to be my favorite son. That is the one that I am going to uh, leave the majority of the inheritance to when I die. He is kind of marked as the favored one and the one who will be kind of leader of the family even after, um, after Jacob dies. Problem with this is he was not the oldest of all the brothers. There are quite a few older than he is, but he's the oldest of Rachel. And so he gets the, um, the famous kind of special coat that Jacob gives him, and the brothers don't like that. Then Joseph starts having these dreams of how one day I'm going to rule over you guys, and you're going to bow down to me, and his brothers don't like that. And so... <clears throat> They decide to have him killed. They do change their minds. They don't end up killing him, but instead they sell him into slavery in Egypt. Pop quiz in the middle of this recap. Anybody remember whose idea it was to sell him to slavery in Egypt? Which of the brothers was it? Whose idea was it to sell him into slavery? Uh, There's a lot of guesses that you could have here. It was Judah. This is important. (laughs) Because as we have been going from Genesis 37 to 50, we've been saying that this is the story of Joseph, but it's also the story of Judah. So keep that in mind. Joseph goes then to Egypt. He's enslaved in Egypt. He's wrongly accused and imprisoned. From there, God raises him up through another sequence of dreams, raises him up all the way to the right hand of Pharaoh, and he is now kind of in charge of all of Egypt. And he is to administer the collection of uh, grain during the seven years that God has said they're going to have, seven years of plenty, that are going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so you better collect it now because you're going to need it for later. And so Joseph's been put in charge of that. Last week what we looked at is the... uh, his brothers actually going to Egypt because the famine had hit and they had no food. And so they go to Egypt because it's the only place around that has food. And they actually come before Joseph and we see him recognize them, but treat them like he doesn't. They don't recognize who he is. He looks like an Egyptian now. And instead he treats them like he thinks they're spies who are just coming to check out the land. 
And then um, what happens from there? Actually, Genesis will recap for us. This is uh, Genesis 42, starting in verse 29 and going on to 43.10. Because after the brothers come back home, they explain what happened with, um, to their dad, Jacob. So Genesis chapter 42, starting in verse 29. It says, When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take the food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father said to them, their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Ugh. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. All right. One of the things we are looking at as we follow this story along is we're looking for changes, changes in people from when we first meet them to how they are later in the story. And we've certainly seen a lot of changes in Joseph, how he has gone from uh, the 17-year-old who's enjoyed being the favored son and enjoyed telling his family about the dreams of greatness that he was going to have. He has gone from that to someone who uh, was serving as a slave, who was serving faithfully even when wrongly imprisoned, 
who was certainly humbled to the point that when Pharaoh has some dreams, calls Joseph in and says, hey, I hear you can tell me what my dream means. And Joseph's response is, I can't do that. But God will give you the answer. And so the, uh, the, the youthful arrogance is gone from Joseph. And we've seen this change from him. And now what we're seeing in his whole plan of sending the brothers back, keeping one there, but asking for Benjamin to come, is this, the question that he's trying to figure out is, though he has changed, have his brothers changed? Are they still the people that he knew way back when? Are they still the people who, when he was in the pit and was crying out for them to save him and not to kill him and not to sell him, they ignored his cries? Is that who they still are? Are they still the kind of people who will put themselves ahead of their own brother? Well, here's where we start to see if that is the case. Because in this story, we see the brothers go back all but one. Simeon is left in Egypt in prison as kind of collateral. And the brothers go back to Jacob and they say, okay, what we need to do now is take Benjamin and take him to Egypt. We get more food and we get Simeon back. Win-win. Let's go. And Jacob says, no. Why does he say no? This this part is heartbreaking, by the way, if you're any of the other brothers. He says, uh, verse 38, But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. You hear that? Who's he talking to? <laughs> he's talking to his other sons. And he's acting like, they don't matter. All that matters. Simeon, he can rot in an Egyptian prison. Who cares? But not Benjamin. Not the favored one. Not the, the one that he views as the only one left. Why is he the only one left? He's the only one left from Rachel. And so when we look at Jacob and we ask the question, has he changed from what we saw earlier when he was favoring Joseph? Nope. We see him still acting the same way, still kind of pitting brothers against each other, still playing favorites. Ah, that is heartbreaking. But what about the brothers themselves? Reuben, you see him speak up first. He's the oldest, so it kind of makes sense he would speak up in verse 37. He's like, hey, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him in my care and I'll bring him back. You ever been in a conversation where you thought you had just the perfect thing to say? And as soon as you say it, whoever it was that was talking is kind of like, anyway, and just <laughs> moves right along. It's kind of the impression I get here. Like Reuben thinks he's going to say something helpful, and it's so off the track of what needs to be said that like nobody responds to it. It's just Jacob is like, anyway, nobody's taking him. You're not taking him. Here's why. Um. And it makes sense. The, the point that what Jacob is um, grieving is the fact that he has already lost so many descendants because of their plan. And Reuben's like, what if I promise you can lose more descendants? Would that help? No. <laughs> but then we do have somebody else speak up. Who else speaks up? 
Anybody catch it? I'm hearing some whispers. It's Judah, right? Remember, this is the story of Joseph, but it's also the story of Judah. And we saw Judah when he was younger uh, come up with a plan. Hey, let's, uh, let's not kill him. We gain nothing there. Let's make a little profit, sell him into slavery in Egypt, right? We saw him with that. We also saw him in chapter 38, this whole issue with his daughter-in-law, where by the end of the story, he has to admit she was more righteous than I was. And what she did, we look at that and go, that's pretty weird. I'll leave you to read that on your own. But he says she's more righteous than I. And so he has had his own time of um, being humbled. And now, what, when, Jacob, or when Judah speaks up, he is pleading with his father, let's, let's do this thing. But he also makes sure to say uh, that he will personally guarantee Benjamin's safety. He has taken the responsibility on himself. And even to the point of saying, um, if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. And he points out they could have gone and come back twice. You know Simeon's waiting in prison going, I sure hope they come back. And as the days go longer, maybe they're not coming back. But Judah is the one who's going to rescue his brother, to rescue the whole family and says, and if I don't, I will bear the blame. This is shockingly refreshing. If you've been reading through the whole story so far, one of the things that we have seen is over and over, people unwilling to bear the blame that is rightfully theirs. Remember? This starts all the way back in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they uh, do exactly what God said, don't do. And then he comes to them and is like, hey, what did you do? And were they willing to bear the blame? Did they fess up and they're like, yep, you're right. I did it. I knew better and I did it anyway. No. No, they're immediately, well, it was, it was the woman that you gave me. That's, that's the thing. Well, it, it was the serpent. It was the serpent that deceived me. That's the thing. And we continually see uh, people who are unwilling to just own up to what they've done. Judah, in advance, puts himself on the line. And says, I will. I am willing to bear the blame if I do not do what I'm supposed to do. I will personally guarantee his safety. We will follow this story on and uh, in the weeks to come. And just so you know, at this point, Jacob will let Benjamin go. We'll see how that all plays out. But in the meantime... We've also been looking at uh, how these are uh, not just stories from long ago, but how every part of the Bible points us to Jesus. Here we go. John 6, uh, verse 35 to 40. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In Genesis, we will see as we carry the story forward that it is actually through Judah that the promise is going to continue to bless the whole world. And I wonder how much of that is because of this moment, not just this moment. We'll see more from Judah later. This is kind of the first hint of the change in Judah where he is willing to personally sacrifice for the good of his brothers. That he, um, that he is even willing, as we'll see later, kind of lay down his own life for their good. And then we look and we see how this points us to Jesus who does the same for us and says, I'm not going to lose them. I promise. See, here's um, one of the things as we think about uh, this story. Maybe you've read forward, so you already know where it's going, but that's not how it is when you're actually living life, is it? When we think about, you know, what is coming this next week as we watch through world events or whether we are uh, just thinking about the events of our own lives and we say, we don't know. We don't know what's coming. But you may have heard the expression, you know, that uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, right? This is what Judah is pointing us to, is the one who holds the future. Judah doesn't actually know what's coming. And even though he's willing to put his life on the line like this, which is a good thing, he doesn't know how that's going to turn out. Jesus knows how it's going to turn out. And he makes a much better guarantee than Judah makes. And he says that it is... um, Says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. We are about to celebrate people joining in this church, becoming a part of this congregation and a part of Jesus' church. Because of this, because of the way that Judah points us to Jesus, because of the way that Jesus guarantees our future when we are those who are trusting in him. And so for that, we celebrate. But for those of you who are kind of sitting in today, you're like, I'm here, but I'm just more auditing the class. (laughs) Know that this is a message for you as well. You don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And I am praying that everybody here will know the security, the assurance, and the comfort that comes from trusting in the one who holds all of the future in his hands and who has promised to hold us as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. 
Lord, we do um, thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we do ask that you would help us as we go from here today to be people who are willing to be changed by your word and by your spirit. Lord, that we would be those who continually turn back to you when we get off track. Lord, that we would be those who are quick to repent. Lord, we pray that you would uh, guard us from the, the things that so easily get us off track. Lord, that you would build into our lives um, rhythms and routines of keeping close to you. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. It is not a temptation to deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.